Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome all of you here at our central campus this morning, and those of you joining us online, and as well those of you at our Northwest campus joining us as well. I want to tell you a story of something that just happened last weekend. Uh, after one of our worship services last weekend, a young man, 17 years old, came up after our worship service to talk and pray with someone. And uh, through a conversation, this young man said that he wanted to be baptized. And so we uh, just connected him right away after the service with Lawrence, our young adults pastor. And so Lawrence then continued a conversation with him. A little bit about this young man's backstory. He, um, over the last little while, has felt a void in his life. He's felt um, that he needed fulfillment in life. He was spiritually curious and wanted answers about God. And what happened was his teacher at school gave him the book Mere Christianity to read. Mere Christianity, written by C.S. Lewis, and it's a book that makes a case and an argument for the Christian faith and for Jesus Christ. And this young man read the book front to back and agreed with what he read and ended up coming to one of our worship services last weekend for the first time, and he asked his mom to bring him. And so last weekend then, he's talking with Lawrence at our uh, information center. Lawrence asks him, so you want to be baptized? Well, have you accepted Jesus Christ, received Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? And he said, no, I haven't. And Lawrence asked him and said, well, do you want to do that right now? This young man said, yeah, I want to. So Lawrence led him through a prayer of salvation, just surrendering his life to Jesus Christ and receiving forgiveness from his sin and and just committing himself to, to follow Jesus. And, and uh, Lawrence just said after, he, after they finished praying, there was a noticeable difference in this young man. And uh, he is going to be baptized tonight at our night of worship service. So, you know, I share this with you to encourage you that God is at work. God is always up to something good. And God, by his spirit, is moving in the hearts and minds and lives of people moving them to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and enter into a relationship with God. God is always up to something good. But we have an enemy. His name's Satan, and he will always try to tell us lies. He'll try to make us believe lies, and maybe some lies that you, maybe you believe that Satan is telling you are that, you know what, not, no one's interested in Jesus Christ no one cares about him. No one's curious about him. No one's curious about the Bible. The Bible's old. It's, it's irrelevant. No one cares about Jesus. Satan might try to have you believe the lie that if you do share about the joy and the fulfillment and the excitement in your life that you have experienced because of your relationship with Jesus, if you share that with anybody, you're going to be ridiculed. You'll be shunned. You'll be um, called stupid, you'll be called irrelevant, people will hate you, people will dislike you. Satan may try and convince you of that. Satan wants us to believe lies so that we are kept quiet and silent and we're timid and we're afraid to naturally speak about what Jesus Christ has done for us and in us. Satan will try and tell you lies 
Satan is a liar. It's in his very nature to tell lies. But Jesus is the one who speaks truth. Jesus is the one that defines the current spiritual reality of this day, today, and this time. And I believe that Jesus would say, the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is great, there is so much opportunity to share about Christ. And what Jesus means by these words is people are open, people are curious, people are interested. Not everybody, certainly, but a lot of people are open to spiritual conversations, they're curious about the Bible. There's people today in Calgary that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. They don't know who he is, what he's done for them. People are open, and I want us to look this morning at a passage of Scripture, three verses. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38 will be our text this morning. And specifically, I want us to notice in these three verses, I want us to notice what Jesus sees, I want us to notice what Jesus feels, and I want us to notice what Jesus says we should do. So stand with me. And let's together read these three verses. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Let's read together. Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Let's pray with with me together. Heavenly Father, this morning, we acknowledge your sovereignty We acknowledge that you are God of all. You reign supreme with all authority and all power and all wisdom and all knowledge. You are God. And you are a good father. You're a good God. A God who is slow to anger, abounding in love, full of compassion and grace and mercy. And you see this world and you know what's going on in this world. You know the state of this world. You know the needs in this world. And you invite us to participate with you so that your kingdom would come on this earth as it is in heaven. So that your agenda, your plan, your purpose would be made visible today. So we ask that you teach us from your word this morning. Reorient our hearts and our minds and our lives so that we will follow you into what you're calling us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Please have a seat. You see, these words of Jesus come right before chapter 10. If you look in your Bible, chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles and asks them to go and do the very things that they had seen Jesus do. These verses come right on the heels of chapters 8 and 9. Chapter 8 concludes the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaching this amazing sermon, teaching his followers how they ought to live their lives. And Jesus comes down from the mountain and maybe needs a break, doesn't get a break at all, and he heals someone who has leprosy. Jesus then goes on to the Sea of Galilee and calms a raging storms that he encounters there. Jesus then comes off the lake and, he, and frees two demon-possessed men from Satan's influence in their lives. 
And then Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And then he recruits Matthew, the tax collector, and changes Matthew's future completely by this invitation to join as one of his disciples. And then he heals a sick woman. And then he encounters a little girl who is dead. And Jesus raises her back to life. And then Jesus heals a man who was blind and couldn't speak. And he had been that way from birth. And we see just the fast pace of what Jesus is doing and the the things and the miracles that he's doing and his teaching that he's doing. And what we see here that in Jesus, God's reign, God's agenda, God's plan, God's will is being made and activated through the spiritual authority and power displayed by Jesus on earth. Truly, we're seeing that God's kingdom is being revealed on earth, made visible. Jesus was bringing good news to people's lives. We see here that Jesus is incredibly busy, going at such a fast pace, and if I were Jesus, I would be thinking, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm finished, I'm depleted, I'm spent, I've had enough, I'm, I can't feel, I can't think anymore, I'm done, I need a break. And we see Jesus, like we read, going from town to town, village to village, healing and teaching, and then we read verse 36. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. And what's remarkable about this, these words here is we rarely see in Scripture how Jesus feels. We're rarely told how Jesus feels about what he sees. We're told here that Jesus has compassion on the crowds. So what does compassion mean? What does this mean? What is this? What can we take from Jesus having compassion? What does this look like? Compassion comes in three ways. See, first of all, compassion comes to us from seeing a need in front of us. There's no compassion without a need. A need must exist, and then people see that need, and then are filled with compassion for that situation and that need. And Jesus sees the crowds All the people as he went, in each village, each town, there were crowds of people that Jesus encountered all along the way. And the words that Matthew uses to describe these people is that they were helpless, they were harassed, they were confused, and he uses the metaphor, they were like sheep without a shepherd. A shepherd provides for his sheep. A shepherd offers protection, provision, guidance for his flock. And this is what Jesus was saying. There's no one around you to provide guidance, provision, protection, teaching, instruction, leadership to these people. They're helpless. These words mean the people were beaten down. And Jesus was moved to compassion because he saw something. He saw their pain. He saw their sorrow. He saw their physical poverty. He saw their relational poverty. He saw that they were lonely. He saw they had no spiritual authority or spiritual truth to anchor them against what Satan was trying to do in their lives. He saw that they were spiritually lost and they had a desperate, desperate, desperate longing for God and for truth. And when I think of our world today, I don't think... The situation has changed in 2,000 years. I don't think people have changed that much. As I look around, I see 
pain and sorrow and grief and loss and loneliness and poverty and spiritual curiosity. And I see people wanting to know the truth, the true God who will bring lasting fulfillment in their lives, something that is solid, dependable, trustworthy. And I think if Jesus were standing here among us today, I think he would say, Center Street Church, there is great opportunity. The potential harvest, the potential need that's met, there's great opportunity here. And I think Jesus would say, Center Street Church, you have all the good news that you need in order to meet every, seat, every need, every situation that you encounter. You have all you need. You have all the good news that you need to speak into that situation of loneliness or sorrow or grief or spiritual curiosity or you have all you need. You have the good news. Share it. Let me get just a little more specific. Get more specific in your mind. What is the need that you see in the people or the person around you? Allow a face or a name to come to your mind. What's the need that you see, the specific need that you see in people around you? Perhaps even the specific need of people that you know who don't know Jesus Christ yet. What's their specific need? And then how do you see these people coping with their need? How do you see them coping with this need that they have? What's the need that you see? Our family, my wife Nadine and I and our, our three kids, we've just completed the long process to become a foster family, foster parents. And God impressed this desire upon our heart years ago, more than six years ago. We, were, we had begun praying and thinking about this. We saw a need and we, we thought, maybe we can, we can do something about that need. So when we moved here to Calgary more than six years ago and, and at the five-year mark for five years ago, we, we initially started this process did a lot of praying and a lot of reading in Scripture and said, Lord, are you, is this what you are saying to us about our family? And so we heard clearly from the Lord through Scripture and through prayer, not yet. It wasn't a no from God, but it was not yet. And so we thought, well, what does that mean? <laughs> we, okay, so not yet. So over the past five years, often we've said, Lord, now is now the time? Lord, is now the time? And so about a year ago, we felt like the Lord saying, yes, now's the time. Now's the time. So we started this application process and it's completed now. And so we, we have seen this need in Calgary. And we feel like the Lord has prepared us as a family to meet this need of providing love and compassion to children and their families. And we feel like God's revealed to us that he's equipped us. He's He's made us able to meet this need. We have a loving family. We have, a, we have room in our home, in our house. We have room for kids. We have room in our hearts for kids. We have room in our family for kids. We've seen this need. The Lord has led us to do this. And, and our desire is that as we pray for children in our home, as we pray for their families, that God would use us to display his truth, his love, his compassion to, to those who need to see that. 
desire is that our family would be an agent of bringing healing and love and really would reflect the heart of God for kids today in our city. And I know, because I've met many of you who are foster parents in our church. I know many of you are adoptive families in our church. In fact, there's a group of individuals and families that meet regularly that are a part of an, a foster and adoptive family group, and um, they meet for support and prayer for one another, encouragement for one another, and they also exist to help those who might be curious and, and need information about this whole process of becoming adoptive or foster uh, families, parents. And um, if, you're, if you're at all interested in that, go online to our website. You can find information about this group. But what is the need that you see in people around you? What's the need that you see? If we want to follow Jesus in this mission that he has on this earth, then we must at least see the spiritual needs of those around us. We must see the need. And when we see a need, what happens in us is compassion rises up in us. This is the second thing is compassion is a feeling. You can't think compassion. You can't intellectualize compassion. You can't rationalize compassion. Compassion is a feeling. It's what we feel. The word that Matthew uses to describe what Jesus felt when he saw the needs and the people and the crowds around him is, is a very evocative word. And Matthew sort of struggles to put words to this feeling that Jesus felt inside of him. And the way Matthew describes it is that Jesus, it's almost like Jesus, what he felt was a punch in the gut. It was deep. It was inward emotion that he felt identifying with the suffering and the grief and the loss and the, the lostness of, of the people and the crowds that he saw. When was the last time that you felt compassion well up in you that it felt like you just, it was overwhelming for you. It was, felt, it was like you were punched in the gut. Have you felt that recently? Biblical compassion means that you see a need and then you feel something. You feel compassion within you. And there's a couple dangers that we are very real to us as a church, as people who follow Jesus. You see, one danger might be is that we see so many images and we hear so many stories coming at us all the time. Needs in our world, needs in other countries, needs in our nation, needs in our city, in our province, in people. We, he we hear so much need around us and we see images and stories and, and what can happen is we become numb to the needs. What can happen is our, our soul and our heart can become hardened and we just don't feel compassion. We become anesthetized to what we see. Another danger is perhaps that our lives are so busy, we're so preoccupied, we have no margin in our life to do much more, much less feel anything more. Because we're so busy, we're overwhelmed. And that, that's a danger to keep us from feeling compassion. We're so preoccupied and busy. A third might be that we see the need around us in people's lives, but we just ignore that need. We pretend that, that it's not there. And in a very real way, we can structure our lives we can position our lives, protect our lives in such a way that it's almost we create this Disneyland of a life for us where our lives are the happiest place in the world. That's possible. 
and we ignore the needs around us. When Jesus' church, it's you and I, when Jesus' church becomes numb, when Jesus' church becomes too busy, when Jesus' church ignores the needs of people around us, and it's possible then for us to become a church that does not feel, that does not feel compassion. That's possible. And that kind of church is not Jesus' church. That kind of church is not the way that Jesus intended his church, you and I, to be. Jesus felt compassion when he saw the need. So when was the last time that you shed tears because of a need that you saw? Not because of a TV commercial that made you cry, but you saw a need and you just, you had tears in your eyes. When was the last time that you felt righteous anger because what was going on and the need that was there represented there should not be the way that God intended the world to be? When was the last time that you just felt compelled to speak out about a need that you saw or speak into a need that you saw that was very real. When was the last time you felt a deep sadness and sorrow in your life because a person that you know, a person that you love, a person that you care about does not know Jesus yet? And as you pondered that reality, you felt a deep sadness and sorrow and compassion rise up within you because you know the outcome of a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. When was the last time you felt compassion? When was the last time that our collective heart of this church was broken with compassion because of something that we saw? The lostness of people or the felt, real, emotional, physical, spiritual needs that we saw in people around us. To be like Jesus means that we must share in his feeling of compassion for the needs that we see around us. Again, emotional needs, physical needs, relational needs, and certainly spiritual needs of people around us. See, church, we can't afford not to feel compassion. Because in our feeling of compassion, we identify with the heart of God for a world that needs to know him. Together with Jesus, we look out and we see the need. Together with Jesus, then we feel compassion. And then we are moved to do something about what we see and about what we feel. We're moved to action Brian Loritz says that compassion truly only becomes real. It, it truly only becomes actualized as a reality when our feelings move us to do something. Compassion moves to action. Moves to action. Biblical compassion is an act. Biblical Jesus-shaped compassion means you see the need, you feel the need, and then you do something about it. That's what we see Jesus doing. Jesus saw the crowds and he healed them. He saw that they were spiritually in need of knowing the true God, and so he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God to them. And the conclusion that Jesus draws out of what he saw and what he felt was the harvest is great. There is so much opportunity. 
But the workers are few. There's few people that are willing to step out and to do and to say and to live in the way that Jesus would love for them to do. And so what's the solution to that? What does Jesus say to do? We could think of a million things in our minds that we would want to do, but what does Jesus say we should do? Jesus says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. To God who owns it all, pray that he would send out people to go and do what he wants them to do. Pray. Our first priority is pray. We see the need, we feel the need, and then Jesus says, pray. Pray about it. That's our priority function, church. Pray that people would be moved to go and do what Jesus wants them to do, to say what he wants them to say, to go where he wants them to go. About a year ago, our global mission team, the team that leads us as a church at all five of our campuses to have an impact locally, nationally, and around the world, this team felt impressed upon their hearts that they needed to pray. And pray specifically for people from this church to go to the most difficult places in the world to share Christ there. And they were praying specifically for people to go to what is, is called the 1040 window, that portion of the world that is North Africa and all the way over to Southeast Asia. So they started praying about this. Wouldn't you know it, two weeks later, Lois gets an email saying, uh, from a couple from our church saying, we've been praying and we feel like God is calling us to go. To go to another part of the world to share Christ. So Lois was amazed and she phoned this couple and sat down with them. When you know it, they felt like God was moving them to go to a predominant Muslim country, predominantly Muslim country, in that 1040 window of the world. And so then Lois began to talk with this couple and connected them with an agency, the sending agency that would send them to that part of the world. And this agency tried to encourage them to go to China. And they said, China's great, but we don't feel like God wants us to go to China. We feel like God is preparing us to go to a Muslim uh, country, predominantly Muslim country. And these, this couple, they're professionals, well-grounded in their, in their jobs, and they can use their jobs in that part of the world to work. And then as opportunity comes, they can share Christ with people in that part of the world. And so finally then this agency says, yes, we will send you. We'll send you to go. A couple from our church. So I want to encourage all of us, Center Street Church, pray. Let's just do what Jesus asked us to do. Pray for workers, Pray for this couple. And even pray for this weekend. This, this weekend is, is a very important step in that whole process of them going to this other part of the world. And this whole process came about because of prayer. Certainly prayer that this couple was praying. Prayer as well for our global mission team that was praying, God, raise up people, raise up workers who will go to other parts of the world that need desperately to know the truth about Jesus Christ. See, based on what Jesus himself says, his very words, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. We can conclude a couple of things. We can conclude that evangelism, sharing the gospel message, is grounded in heartfelt, persistent prayer. 
we can conclude that behind every single person coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior are praying disciples of Jesus. We can conclude that Jesus' mission in this world and the extent to which Jesus' mission has an impact in this world is directly correlated to people who will pray. See, we can conclude as well that none of us in this room who call ourselves Christ followers will ever grow out of, grow um, further from praying as Jesus tells us to pray here. We will never move on to more important, to more, cri more critical things because Jesus says this is the most critical aspect of his mission in this world is to pray. Pray for people who don't know Christ yet. Pray for the needs you see around you and pray for those people who God is motivating and sending to go do what he wants done. Pray. Christians see the need, they feel the need, and then they do something about it and what we do is we first of all pray. We pray. And here's the thing. <laughs> At least I've found this in my life and I've seen this in many other people's lives. God will often move you to be involved or to meet the need directly of the thing that you're praying for. That happens. So be ready for that. <laughs> God often will use you and I as we're praying about something. He will move us to meet that need, to talk with that person. But you see, not all of us feel confident in sharing, sharing and verbally speaking to someone else about Jesus Christ and sharing the salvation story. Not all, all of us feel confident in that. But I want to challenge you. We all can be confident in talking to Jesus Christ about those people in our lives who don't know him yet. We can all be confident in doing that and praying for others. Praying is a fundamental commitment to Jesus' mission in promoting the gospel. You see the vital link between those people in your life and mine who don't know Jesus yet? The link between these people and the link between those people that Jesus will call and move and motivate to go talk with these people about him are praying people. It's prayer. It's prayer. Has someone come to your mind about who, has someone come to your mind and God is impressing upon you, you need to pray for them. You need to devote a certain quantity of time set aside that you currently are praying and dedicate that to pray for people in your life who don't know Jesus yet or to pray for needs that you see around you. That's a good measure of the time that you spend in prayer. How much do you dedicate to praying for people who don't know Christ yet or praying for people in need around you? Just think about that. Has someone come to your mind? So let me ask you the question then, how, when you would open up your mouth to pray for this person who doesn't know Christ yet, when you would in your mind begin to pray to Jesus on behalf of this person, what would you actually pray for? What would you say? What words would come out of your mouth? I want to offer you four just movements of praying. If you're praying for someone, begin by focusing on God. Begin praying by focusing on God. Thank God for his love for the world. Thank God for being a good father. Thank God for the life of this person that you know. Thank God that his Holy Spirit 
is already at work in this person's life. Thank God that Jesus' death on the cross was for this person that you know about. Start your praying by focusing on God. And then move to pray specifically for this person. Thank God for this person, the way that God's made them, their qualities, their giftedness, who they are as an individual. Pray for this person that way. Thank God for them. Thank God that the Spirit is already at work in their life. Thank God in faith for prayers that you believe will be answered for this person. So focus on God and then pray for this person in particular. And then move to pray then for this person, asking God to guide you about how to pray for them. When we do this, God often will bring something to our minds that he wants us to pray about for this person. And you can be confident in praying in alignment with that. These aren't just then crazy ideas that you're making up on your own to pray for this person. This is the very heart of God saying, will you pray for this person in this way? Pray then, ask God to show you specifically how you should pray for this person. Pray and ask God to block any strategy or scheme of Satan that Satan might be trying to to use against this person. Ask God to just melt away any, any preconceived notions about God that this person might have that are wrong about God. Lies they might be believing about God. Ask God to make this person sensitive to God's voice. And then ask God to send the right people into this person's life at the right time to say and do the right things. Focus on God, first of all, in your praying, and then thank God for this person, and then pray for this person. And then last, trust. Trust in God's promises for this person. Ask God. Say, God, is there any promise that you have in Scripture that you want to bring to my mind that I can pray over this person. And if God brings a promise from Scripture for this person, pray in accordance with that and then pray and pray and pray and pray and never stop praying. A good friend of mine, he prayed for his dad for 25 years. And then guess what happened? This person's dad became a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, we need to see the need and then feel the need, feel compassion. And the compassion that you feel will empower you and sustain you and motivate you to pray for even 25 years. As we've been talking here, maybe you feel like, you know what, I need some help in how to pray for, for people, can't you just rattled off four things? I don't remember them. You know what? Come to a class that we're starting on, on Thursday nights here, 7 p.m. The first one, this, this coming Thursday, is going to be devoted to how, how do you pray for people in your lives who don't know Jesus yet? And we want to just equip you and enable, enable you to be able to do that. Then the rest of the, the month of November, these, these certain classes are going to have different aspects about how do you, how do you just naturally talk about Jesus to people. And so come this Thursday or any Thursday in November, uh, 7 p.m. here to our central campus, just to be equipped at this way and, and, and talk with other people about how to share your faith in this way. Um, another thing that we've done very, very intentionally as you came in, 
in your bulletin is a Christmas invitation. Already we're getting ready for Christmas. <laughs> so, church, one month from now is a great opportunity for you to invite someone to come with you to our Christmas production. I want to challenge you to pray for one month for someone that you could invite to come with you. And maybe you want to pray for tons of people to come with you. That's great. So would you accept this challenge to pray and ask God, God, who in my life doesn't know Jesus yet? And could, can I pray for them so that they would come with me to this Christmas production? If you need more of these little invitations, they're at our information center. You can go online on our website and you can even find an e-electronic uh, thing that you can share with people that way. But pray. Church, can we, can we pray for people? The needs around us and people who don't know Christ yet. Pray. I want to share with you a story. And I, I tried to check back. I might have shared this story with you a couple of years ago. But it's a story that so powerfully illustrates the power of prayer. And you see, church, when we pray for the needs of those around us, when we pray for people who don't know Christ yet, those are prayers that God loves to answer. Those are directly in alignment with his intention, his plan, his agenda, his will for people in this world. We can be confident when we pray this way, that we are praying in accordance with the heart of God. So the story, when I was a youth pastor in Kelowna, leading our high school students, Grades 10, 11, 12. In one particular year, um, we had uh, an overwhelming number of students coming from one particular high school. There were about five or six high schools in Kelowna, and we had students represented from each of these high schools um, at our youth ministry. But one year, there was just 60 to 80 students from this one particular high school showing up every week. And as leaders, when you see something like that, you say, well, why is this the way that it is? So we were asking the question, why is this the way that it is? We couldn't figure out why. There was no outreach strategy. There was no concerted invitation strategy that we were, we were carrying out in the high schools. Um, we didn't have actually very many kids from this high school that were really a part of our church. So we couldn't figure out why is this the case. The marvelous thing is that students who were coming from that high school were accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Not all of them, but many of them. And as we saw this happening, we said, God, you are up to something here. So we tried to figure out, well, why is this the case? Why is this happening? Can anybody just guess what was going on? Someone said prayer. A group of moms were praying. A group of moms who had kids in that school were gathering together every single week and they were praying. They were praying, God, move in this school. Would this be a school that would follow you and kids' hearts would be drawn towards you and would you save these kids so that their futures would be altered significantly? Would you do something in this school? So the moms were praying specifically that way for this high school, grade 10, 11, 12. And the moms were praying that the kids from this school would go to our youth ministry. You see, God answered prayer. God loves 
to answers prayers when we pray this way. For the needs that we see, we're moved with compassion, we feel compassion, and then we do something about it, and what we first of all do is we pray. And then, after that, God may make it clear what you and I need to do beyond our praying. But first of all, we pray. You see, there's a 17-year-old young man whose life has changed. And I'll bet you anything, there were a group of people that were praying for that teacher who would be so bold as to give a student a book, Mere Christianity. And I'll bet you there's a group of people praying for that teacher, that this teacher would have an impact in the school and in the kids' lives. And I'll bet you there's people praying for this young man, 17 years old, that he would come to Christ at some point in his life. Church, let's be a church that sees the need around us, that feels compassion for what we see, and then let's be a church that will be committed to praying, to do exactly what Jesus tells us to do, pray. Pray for God to move. Pray for God to send people. Pray for God's kingdom to come on this earth as it is in heaven. And you know what, church? A group of us have been praying for you. A group of us prays multiple times for everybody that would gather in this worship center. But what God would want to say to you. So just stand with me now for, for closing prayer. And as we do at the end of our services, just want to invite us all to hold out our hands as a way that we're just open to what God wants to say to us. And so we're going to spend a few moments in silence now, listening for God by His Spirit to speak. Holy Spirit. We've opened your word here this morning. We've talked about your heart, Jesus, for what you see. We've talked about our city of Calgary, so speak to us now. But what you are saying to us, what you want us to do, speak, Lord, because we're listening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the freedom that comes when we place our faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way that we are made brand new, the way that we're made whole, and the way that we are empowered by your Spirit to represent you in this world. God, help us to have eyes to see the needs and the names and the faces of the people that we're closest to. Move in our hearts. Give us hearts of great compassion. Great compassion as we see the needs around us. In the state of people that don't know you yet. God, hear the prayer of your people from Center Street Church and answer. We trust in you, God. Our dependence is upon you. Answer at the right time. And use us even to be the answer to our prayer. Jesus, we know, and you know better than, than any of us, the desperate need in our world today, the desperate need in Calgary today for you. 
to know you, Jesus. And so move. Move in our city. Move in us as a church. Mobilize us, strengthen us, equip us, send us out with great authority and power and grace and gentleness for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of a world that needs to know you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May God by his spirit empower you and motivate you and move you in everything you do, everything you say. May you bring glory and honor to Jesus' name this week as you and I live our lives here in Calgary. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.